And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Stuart Mentzer. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians this morning. Thank you very much. Appreciate Ray introducing us, and we're glad that you're listening today to the show. We uh, got a few things we want to talk about. Maybe you want to call the show. This is a live call-in show. We talk about New Testament Christianity, but really what we talk about is anything that's on your mind, and um, then we will relate that to what the New Testament says about it. So you can expect when you call, and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not a believer, but if you want to call, uh, we'll probably try at some point and and, uh, give you some scriptural references for whatever position we take, whatever answer we try to give you, it's going to have something to do with what the Bible says about it. That's the nature of the show. Because we believe that the New Testament, because it's the word of Jesus Christ, it's it's an inspired document, gives us the pattern of how to live both our personal lives and also how the church ought to be, what it ought to be about, Christ's church. And so, therefore, we're not here to promote any kind of man-made traditions or confessions or ordinances or organizations, anything like that. Uh, we're, we're not even going to talk about historic Christianity, meaning what people have done for the last 2,000 years. Well, we'll talk about that, but we're not here to promote that. We're going to try to take you all the way back past that and to recreate the first century church here in the 21st century. We think that's what the apostles intended. That's what the New Testament explicitly says it's about for us to do that. And so, therefore, we're going to do that. And so we're going to look at the things that people do today in religion and perhaps even including ourselves, and then see what the Bible says about that. We always try to do that. In our Bible classes here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, that's what we're trying to do, read the scriptures, and then evaluate how that fit, how our lives fit in with that, and what corrections need to be made, or what the church is doing, and how we can uh, correct what we're doing so we stay on track with Jesus Christ. The history of the history of humans is drifting away from God, drifting into our own thoughts and ideas and wants and desires, drifting away from God. That's just the story of human history and civilizations. That's how human civilizations collapse, is they get, drift so far away from God that they, they collapse. Anyway, that's what the show's about. You can call us and you can get in touch with us two different ways, at least this morning. One of them is by calling the station. You can call the show live. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us. Ray at the station will patch it through to us there over Skype and we'll have a conversation. We promise we're not here to argue with you or belittle you or anything. We want to hear what you have to say. If you can, stay on the line and we'll talk. If not, that's fine, but we'll, we'll take your question, try to give you a Bible answer, something that will provoke some thought. And then we'll give you the last word so you don't feel taken advantage of in any way. We'll be glad to have you call, whether we agree or whether we disagree. And as mentioned before, I mentioned again, particularly if you don't agree with Christianity or you're not a believer, we'd love to hear from you and hear what you have to say. Maybe you're like a lot of people. You've had some bad experiences in churches. And boy, believe me, I know about those. And it's not uncommon for people to have bad experiences in churches, uh, either by what's taught or, or by how people act. I'd like to hear about that. We'll talk about that on the air, if you wouldn't mind, and that way we can you know, evaluate what happened in, in light of the scriptures and see what ought to have been done, either by you or by them. What ought to have been done would be interesting. So anyway, that's the way, 340-1590, 772-340-1590. Or you can text me today, uh, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Six one two zero. With me today is Stuart Mincher. How you doing, Stuart? Great, doing good this morning. Good. Stuart was here last week. Gary Jones is under the weather and not able to be here this week. He wasn't here last week, so Stuart's kind of stepped in and helped me out. We appreciate that very much. But I won't give Gary's text number there at home. He's not feeling well, so he might be listening. If so, he can call in. And, and I'm talk not giving to you mine, so that <laughs> but, but that'll be fine. But in any event, uh, I'll just give you my text number seven seven two. Two six zero six one two zero, and you can text me today during the show. I'll try to respond, 
or you can text during the week with a question or a comment or anything that's on your mind. Anytime that you want to talk about anything or point, point out something to me, uh, go ahead and text. It's fine. We'd be glad to have you do that. So in any event, um, that's where we are. That's the um, that's the nature of the show. That's how you get a hold of us. You can also reach, I should mention, can also reach us by email at uh, justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. Well, Stuart, we have a phone call this morning already, right. so let's go to so to the phones. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Stuart. Uh, yeah. I don't know how lucid I am this morning, but uh, I was wondering at the... Uh, beginning of a Lutheran service uh, when a Christian uh, strikes his left breast uh, three times and says uh, uh, the words are through my fault, uh, through my most grievous fault, and then through my fault again. And I was just wondering about the word incantation. Uh, would that be considered? Uh, is that spelled with a? I was wondering if it's spelled with an e or, e or an I in penetration. And I just wondered, uh, you know, is it, do all, uh, all Protestant religions uh, have that? It's at the beginning of the service, uh, and and I was just wondering about those words. Through my fault, through my most grievous fault, and then again through my fault, and whether or not it's an incantation. I'd like to listen off L Mike if that's okay. That's, that's good. That's fine, Jerry. Well, I appreciate you calling in today. Well now, Jerry, I'm gonna have to confess I am not intimately familiar with the beginning of a Lutheran church service. I've heard that prayer before. It's a prayer of repentance that is often said and I if my memory is correct, the the uh the whole congregation kind of says this prayer and so forth. And an incantation has, I don't know what they would call it. Uh, the word, uh, just going back, just going on words, the word canto, C-A-N-T-O, is a Latin word for sing. Okay, it's singing. Is that why you have cantatas. Okay, that's the, the, that's the Latin derivative of that. An incantation is kind of a, a, a written or recited formula of words that you say to produce a particular effect. So it also is used in another sense altogether. And I'm, now don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, laying this definition on the Lutheran church in particular, but an incantation is used in the mystical world for what we would call a spell in witchcraft yep. or occultism. You, you say an incantation three old ugly ladies do around the pot of stew or whatever they're doing, mixing in lewd, uh, Newt's eyes and all this stuff, and they say an incantation, abracadabra or whatever. That's that's because it, it's often done as a chant. See, the word canto for sing then has come often to mean chant. We get the English word from that. A chant is not what we modern people would call a song, but it was like a song in the ancient times because it was often put to a rhythm or, and that's why they did chants because they have a rhythm. They become easier to memorize. And so they can repeat them over and over again. So you say it over and over again. This is an incantation. So when you do this repeating my fault, my grievous fault, you're really, you are doing a kind of an incantation. I don't know what they call it but you are using a kind of a written formula to create a particular effect. Now, now that is specifically a dictionary kind of definition, a written or recited formula to produce a particular effect. And so the idea of saying this, these words over and over again would be to produce the effect of feeling sorry or repentant uh, when you say this, my fault, my grievous fault, and a lot of the things in what are called higher religions are based on these kind of formulaic, repeated expressions. Uh, I think the uh, Hail Marys, the same way, it, whether they call it an incantation or not, I don't know. But it's meant to produce a particular emotional effect in someone. Now, go on the other, other end of the extreme of religion, go over to Pentecostalism. I, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but... 
because Catholicism and its dependence upon modern revelations through the church and and the belief of the Holy Spirit is speaking to the priests and everything is very close to Pentecostalism in one way. But in the other way, when we're looking at it, we see a very formal, rigid kind of religion in Catholicism. That's just speaking generically. I don't mean that as a criticism, but it's speaking generically. And then whereas Pentecostalism, we would tend to look at that as a much more freewheeling and spontaneous religion. But they both depend upon formulaic recitations of repeated words. In Pentecostalism, it's basically how you get in the mood to speak in the Holy Spirit in a lot of cases. You keep repeating certain gibberish or nonsensical. And I, don't use, I don't use those words as insults. I'm using them more in a technical way. Sure. They don't have any definite meaning. And you repeat these sounds over and over again and finally begin to speak in the Holy Spirit. I saw a video on this the other day. And then pretty soon it moves your whole body. You begin to dance and and gyrate all over the place. And you can look up videos of this uh, uh, different places. But anyway, they depend on incantations uh, to get that job done. Now, now, the question then is, is there anything like that in the New Testament that Christians are supposed to chant or to say it repeatedly over and over again? Sure. Well, Stuart, Paul, you, you look Paul like you've got something to say, so yeah, I'll, I'm going to look something yeah. up while you say this. Paul warns about that very thing uh, in Corinth because that was the practice of the uh, idolatry and the false religions that those people were practicing was this idea of, of continually chanting to uh, Easter, Astaroth, if that's the word you want to use. And it was something that Paul had to deal with and constantly preached against. So the time that he spent there, and he does the same thing in Romans and teach to the Roman church and tells them that these uh, extended babblings are not uh, what God expects or what God wants. They are outside the realm of the communication we have with our God. Right. Now, once again, I'm just I'm going to play off. Of, I appreciate that because that's exactly right, because then and that's the. That's where modern Pentecostalism or charismatic movement yeah. gets takes its theological basis is from sure. the the speaking in tongues in the New Testament. Now there's an inter- there's another reference I believe to what we call modern speaking in tongues. Now there was true speaking in tongues in the Bible, and they, the tongues were languages because that's all a tongue means sure. is a language. Absolutely. They were speaking in known languages that they didn't know, didn't ha- had any experience with, and it was a miraculous sign that they could speak like me speaking in Swahili when I've never been around anybody that knows sure. Swahili, and it took an interpreter to know what was being said because it was a known language. Somebody could interpret it. But anyway, the, the, other, the other verse on this is something Jesus said in Luke 11, and maybe another place or two. I think the only place it uses this, this particular reference is Luke 11, where he talks about the... Uh, what am I saying? Not Luke 11. Matthew chapter 6. The, the parallel reference is in Luke sure. 11 here. Right. I got that written down here. But anyway, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees or other people, well, he, isn't, he says, don't be like the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. They like to stand in the synagogue and, and say all the, do all these religious things and pray so people can see them praying. And uh, they're phonies when they do this. They're trying to be seen of men. He said, when you pray, you go in your room in a secret place and God who's in the secret place will speak with you, you know, will uh, will reward you, it says, when you when you uh, go to him and pray privately, not for show. Then he says, and I think this is an additional criticism of some of these people, maybe the Gentiles. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, now when I was, uh, the word heathen there is ethnikos, ethnikos, uh, which means nations, ethnic groups. Okay. Different ethnic groups. Uh, He calls them heathens, meaning pagans, not Jews in this case, the various nations. So we know that the pagans were using what he calls vain repetitions, vain meaning empty, they don't have any real meaning to the words, yeah. and they repeat them over and over again. This is a type 
It isn't the type of incantation that Jerry called about, just to be clear, but it's a type of incantation where you're using it almost like a magical thing. If you say, if you just repeat the word Jesus, Jesus, Jesus oh, yeah. over and over again, sure. it's going to have a magical effect. Yeah. The name of Jesus has magical powers if you just say it over and over again uh, or other words like that. And the heathens would use these kind of prayers and they would eventually work themselves up into kind of a frenzy, an emotional frenzy. Sure. That It, it yeah. was a rep- repetition of particular yeah. phrases well, that's why I was saying to that, get, cause yeah. a particular effect, that's exactly what, like Miriam Swift. Yeah, that's says. what Paul was preaching against because he realized what they were doing and where it came from and trying to help them and correct their religious belief. Or now, this belief. is what people today call speaking in tongues, oh, I know. but it's not what the Bible is calling speaking in tongues. I always, right? take, well, I always take a tongue speaker back to uh, the second chapter of Acts where the apostles, and Peter especially, uh, they were heard, the people heard in their own language. So it wasn't that uh, Peter and the apostles or any of them were speaking in an unknown tongue or in a tongue that wasn't foreign or wasn't understood. If or somebody Japanese. begins to speak German, I know it's German. I just don't sure. know what in the world it means. Absolutely. I'm the same way. Okay. I hear it. Uh, I say, uh, but I, 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 know. I recognize Spanish yeah. and I recognize German. Yeah. And I might recognize another language as being foreign as a real language. Sure. But I wouldn't recognize, I wouldn't know what it means. Now, look at this verse closer, though, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And, and Gary Jones uh, also referred to this. He says it may not be the same thing. And it, it is and it isn't, I don't think, the same thing. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions, yep. and th- that is that is uh, uh, It means to stutter or to pray tediously to use vain repetitions. This is the idea here is, uh, is saying something that isn't intelligible over and over and over and over sure. again. And he says the key thing there, interesting to me, Stuart, is as the heathen do. Sure. Meaning he's not talking about the Pharisees. <laughs> See, we want to link the fair. And so when I was a kid, I heard this verse applied. Well, this is this is applying to uh, someone in the Catholic Church saying the Hail Marys repeatedly, 25 times. Well, we can debate that, but I don't think that's the vain repetition because they were it isn't it is even the Jewish priest saying the same thing over and over again or repeatedly. I, I heard someone say, oh, well. We pray about the same thing at the beginning of service as we do at the end of service. That's a repetition, a vain repetition. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this speaking in a ecstatic language, an utterance that causes you to shift your emotional focus. We know that human beings can do this. It doesn't come from God because it came just as easily to the pagan priests as it did to anybody else, sure. this vain repetition. So this is the argument. People say, well, uh, you, you say you don't believe in speaking in tongues today. Well, what do you call it? You can see videos of these Pente- well, I've been to Pentecostal services and seen it with my own eyes. Well, what do you? Well, I call it. It's it's not just nothing. I know it's n- not just nothing because I've seen it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying it's not what you say it is. That's it's true. not the Holy Spirit like calling- speaking to someone yeah. Yeah. in in words that we don't understand. It is because pagans can do the same thing by using the same methods of repetition of certain phrases sure. over and over yeah, again sure. until they get the spirit. This is probably what's going on yeah. on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 sure. when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. They were dancing and cutting themselves and chanting and all this stuff, and they were working themselves into an emotional frenzy. Well, that that's uh, my that objection to— wasn't God, wasn't Jehovah. To, to those that celebrate Easter and Christmas and all these others— uh, it's one thing for them to observe a custom in a particular country or area. It's another thing to call it Christian. They're not Christian. Uh, they've tried to, some of the modern day people have tried to connect those and make those religious holidays. Well, they are religious holidays in that respect, but they're not Christian. And they probably are vain in that sense. They're not, they're not really, they're vain because they're not from the word of God. Sure. So they're empty. Now, here's the thing where I would apply this to modern Christianity, and I use the word Christianity in quotes, not New Testament Christianity, but as you see it around you, what you should observe uh, if you're going to some church this morning or in some religion. When you're being told to, uh, well, I have a little, I've talked about this before, I have a little cross. My grandmother was hers. She was a devout Roman Catholic, coming in a little leather pouch. It's 
it's got to be close to 100 years old, this thing oh, does, wow. or more. Yeah. And you pull it out, a little wooden carved cross with Jesus on it, and it has a little brochure with a little piece of paper, and you unfold it, and you read about saying these certain prayers in here, repeat them so many times a day. And when you hold this cross or keep it in your pocket or on your person, and you say these prayers so many times a day in front of this cross, then you'll receive so many days indulgences. And you repeat the same prayer over and over and over again. And the idea is given, whether it meant or not, whether it is meant this way or not, when you read this, and I know this is true because that's how people interpret it, but as long as you just say these words, magic things happen oh, sure. when you just say these words. Sure. Say, saying words that you're not thinking about and that you don't mean is not going to have that yeah. effect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, you can repeat the. Some people use the Lord's Prayer this way. I know. They can say yeah. it. They don't even have to think about it. They yeah. can say what they call the Lord's Prayer or the, sure. well, the model. I don't know. Well, there's another name for it. Well, I guess they call it Our Father because it's the Our Father who art in heaven. Sure. I think they call it the Our Fathers. Um, our Fathers. I guess I'm from the Midwest. I say Our Our Fathers. <laughs> our Fathers. Neither. Uh, yeah. yeah. In, in any event, uh, if you just say these words, magical things will happen. No. Prayers are not that. The, it was given as a model to show you how to pray, not what to pray That's true. every time. That's true. There's a difference between those two things. And so our Christianity has to be more personal, more based in our own thoughts and hearts than just to recite something that somebody else wrote. Now, is it would it be wrong, Stuart, if I went out there this morning and I said, let's let's all say the Lord's Prayer together. And I read the Lord's Prayer and we all said it. But I don't think that would be wrong. But if you just keep if you do that and you think just by sitting there and five mumbling times a the day, words, yeah, five sure. times every church we have to. I don't. And we all know when we should bow in the service. And look, temple worship was like that. The priests did the same kinds of things sure. every time Absolutely. during a certain times of the year. They did certain things a certain way, and they, human nature says the Jews got it down to a real science, as we call it that way, of real precision about how it was to be done, what was to be said, when a person did this. We don't find anything like well, that in the New Testament about how Christians were. The worship. Catholic Church went through that in the Dark Ages in Europe because they, first of all, you weren't, uh, you weren't taught to read and write unless you were a priest or in the, in the Catholic Church. So the rest of the people had to, in order to get them, I think, to transfer the idea and thought of their communication with their God was to was through this repetition thing. Well, now that we live in a society where we're surrounded by information, good and bad, uh, we should have developed or matured to the point where we're able to distinguish between uh, what we need to be doing and what we don't need to be doing. And this repetitious thing has been around for hundreds of years. It's not something new. Uh, it was usually, uh, in fact, the uh, Egyptian priests had the same uh, philosophy and idea that they taught people to repeat things that they had made up or they had written or they had said, thinking that it was uh, they were beneficial not to our God, but to their God. Right. Well, it's a lot of things. Repetition is good, but not a vain repetition and, and an incantation way where these certain words produce certain effects, sure. and and uh, we don't we don't find the New Testament church worshiping that way. I, I was going to go to First Corinthians chapter fourteen, and what you find there is maybe an extreme away from the real orderly service of the temple among the Jews and even among some of the pagans, to where these Corinthians had just felt fallen into chaos in their worship services. They were basically in in in, uh, in complete disarray because they said they had the Holy Spirit and they they couldn't control it, uh, control what the Spirit said sure. to them. They were just blurting out this, and the Spirit told this person. And I've been to Pentecostal services where that's exactly what it was. There's four or five things all going on at the same time, and, and it's strange. Well, the one I, one I remember specifically God is the service not the author I went, confusion. That should, that well, yeah, that. it was very much because everybody was just saying whatever they want to out loud, sure. real loud. And one of them, when the preacher said, "Let's pray," 
he began to pray at the pulpit, holding on and shutting his eyes, and I'm watching him. And all around me, everybody is praying their own prayer out sure. loud. All yeah. prayed their own prayer. Yeah. And this was because the Holy Spirit supposedly was directing this. This is the very exact thing that Paul was warning them. Don't go from this blindly repeating vain phrases at the temple to blindly letting your emotions carry you away in service among and not being decently and in order. Yeah. He says to them here that uh, uh, how is it, brethren, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each has a teaching, each has a tongue, each has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So it, it isn't it isn't wrong that each of you has something to contribute to the to the worship or to the teaching. And he said, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be a two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So if you're going to speak in a tongue, maybe one or two can speak, do it in turn, not at the same time, and then let somebody interpret it, because without the interpretation, there's no edification. But let there, if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Even Yeah, but even the teaching of tongues in the New Testament is for the non-believer, for the non-converted. Uh, even when they were spoken to in their own language or whatever, it wasn't intended or was never taught to be a part of the worship service. No, it, it, was, it was a sign for the unbelievers. Sure. Right. But he says, uh, the, he says that for uh, if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first one keep silent. Sure. For you can all prophesy one by one, all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So he says here that this Holy Spirit that you think you're getting is under your control as to how it's expressed. You can't plead, as modern Pentecostals do, that um, I can't help it. Okay. Now, I know we have another caller, so we're going to wrap this up here. Okay. Uh, so let me – but he says here, uh, but God is not the author of confusion but the author of peace. So if you're going to – do an incantation, make sure that it is not just a vain repetition of words that just meaningless. It's not going to have magical powers to do one thing or the other to have this incantation sure. or to repeat something. Certainly okay for you to read a prayer from the Bible or say a prayer from the Bible, but not as as if it's a magical spell that you can repeatedly so say over and over. what we're saying is most of this is boils back, comes back, back to the pulpit of those men in responsibility of authority of preaching the word or preaching what they want to preach or what people want to hear, not what the word says. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, we have another caller. Uh, Laura, I'm sorry if I uh, didn't get to you right away. What's on your mind, Laura? No, you're fine. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Is that Mr. Stewart with you too? Stewart. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Stewart. Yeah. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Stuart wasn't a part of this phone call unless he was listening. While back, I asked you about Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and you were kind of emphatic about that being the Old Testament. But as I spend time in the presence of God, the Old and the New Testament is the whole Testament of Jesus Christ. And yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He paid the way as the one and only sacrifice needed, but I find him present in every single word of that Bible from start to finish. No doubt about that. No, I didn't. I I wasn't. Uh, I don't think contradicting the point that Jesus says the old. Speaking of the Old Testament, he says these the prophets are speaking of me. Sure. So he, you're correct about that, Laura. In going back to. Well, do you want to make another point before I comment on Second Chronicles 7? 714, well, I just believe that once again, we're seeing all the same things we have not learned from. And they even say those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. But I see the whole thing playing out in different forms in this world with God just pounding on the door of people's hearts getting them to, you know, to open the door and let them in is in Revelation 3.20. It's crucial we live our lives with him. Yeah, I think uh, you're correct about that. Now, m my comment about history, um, 
and, and that quote, that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Someone commented on that and said, well, history may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes, <laughs> which is probably more accurate. Yeah. It, yeah. it is exactly right. And, and I think that the reason that history has that feeling, you have that feeling that we're seeing the same things over and over again. Part of that is because God hasn't changed and human human beings haven't changed as a whole. Our human nature causes us to do the same things from generation to generation. And there's even some indication if you do a little study of it in a certain way. If, you know, it's I can see possible variations of this, but a certain number of generations kind of repeats itself. These kind of parents produce these kind of children, and these kind of children produce these kind oh, yeah. of children. And so you see patterns that take 120 years or so to all work yeah. themselves out. Well, ma'am, let me say but this. But God, God is probably yeah. behind all that. Don't get me yeah. wrong. God, uh, let me say this. When I get in this discussion with others about the difference, which is not between the old and the new, Christ was a word made flesh. That was the word of the Old Testament. He now became flesh, became God, walked upon the earth. That tells us and teaches us that it's all in one. It's all the same. It's it, There is no difference. There are lessons to be learned from both. So I'll leave that the, word. The second. principles apply sure, across. Sure, sure. Now, there, uh, that's another. Let me, let's come back to that issue in just a minute, uh, it, Stuart about the, and Laura, about the difference between the Old and New Testaments and what difference there may be. Uh, but back in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and the verses that uh, Laura was referring to, he says, for example, in uh, verse 13 of Second Chronicles, uh, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, it's obvious. My point I was making before is it's obvious in this context that this is being spoken of by uh, by God through to Solomon the king. That's that's who he's talking about in verse twelve to the people of Israel who God had given a particular land at that time and made promises to them that if they kept his word, they would keep the land. And if they didn't keep his word, they would lose the land. Then he would send upon them blessings they couldn't count if they would keep his word. And if they didn't, he would send uh, all these curses upon them. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30. And so here he's just saying to Solomon again, repeating this idea that if my people, even when they have turned to wickedness, my people Israel, if they turn to wickedness, if they turn back to me, I will bless them and heal the land itself and bring forth crops and abundance for them. So my point was that this particular passage is not a prophecy of the United States of America. Do the principles apply that God will bless the nations who serve him oh, and yeah, curse sure. the nations who general, don't. General, sure. Exactly. And I think sometimes he, he brings those curses and blessings on a nation just because of the Christians that are in it. But the prophecies of the Old Testament, in particular this one to Solomon, are not about the United States of America in 2023. They are about God's will in a general way and how he deals with the nations. Now, that's that's how I don't see we I don't think we have any prophecies about the United States no. as a nation in the new in the old or new testaments as such. Do we have principles from the old New Testaments that teach us today? Like you say, Lord, you and I agree about the wickedness in our land and and that Christian God's will is the only answer to this wickedness and many of the things that are happening around us. Maybe even some of the natural disasters and stuff may very well be God's hand may be in that. I, I can't predict that because I don't have any word from God as far in the Bible about that. But I can see the principles about that because, well, I'll give you an, I'm talking long here, Laura, but I, I'll say this. I think I mentioned, I don't know, I think it was before when Gary was still here a couple weeks ago, something I read uh, recently uh, that 
in after 9-11, things changed in the United States of America. And we, you would think when it happened, I thought, well, perhaps this is a wake-up call to people to get back on the right track, to do well, to do right in 2001. But it's turned out historically, now we're 20 years down the road, that the, the numbers of people who trust in God has fallen off the table since the year 2000. Absolutely. The number of people that worship God on Sunday in the United States has fallen off the table. The number of people who think prayer is important has fallen off the table in the United States. So God presented a natural disaster to us or disaster to us that could have turned the nation back toward him and we chose a different pathway. God did that to Israel repeatedly, oh, gave them all these things happened, the and they turned week. away from it, sure. began to worship more idols. They worshiped yeah. the idols more, and he finally destroyed them. Yeah. Well, can you see that happening today? Oh, yeah. Even though we're not the nation of Israel, as sure. God's chosen people, as Americans, sure. no, I can see this God doing the same thing to us. Well, we talked about so, that uh, Yes, yeah, so I agree, Laura, about the principle about that God will bless people who serve him, and he these words have... These words have meaning to me in probably the same way they do you, but but I don't see them as a direct prophecy of the United States. What do you think about that? Well, no, it, it only is definitely principle. But I think the church, their love in general, has truly waxed cold. I'm, I'm sorry. Can you say that? Can you? Can you say that last thing again, Laura? Regardless of what they do, because we've all struggled in our lives, some more than others, but we got to find a relatable degree. For King and Country has a beautiful song called Relate, and it's beautiful because we are all made in God's image, and He will penetrate their stony heart and give them a heart of flesh when they choose to surrender. And I just believe the church needs to love everyone as Jesus of God has loved us and let them get to where they need to go. Right. Well, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I guess I would have to ask, I, I can probably more fully agree once you define what the word love is in that case. Because for example, if I have a teenage if I have a teenager that's caught up in alcohol or drugs and I love them, loving them in that case would mean that I rebuke them or try to turn them away from the drugs and alcohol. Sure. And that's because I love them. So if you say I should love all people, sometimes it doesn't mean that doesn't mean in my view just having a warm, fuzzy feeling about them. It means sometimes offering words of rebuke and, and repentance yeah, to them. Tough love That's today. love. Yeah. Well, I don't even care. It's not even tough. It is tough love in the way we define it, but it's just love. That's what love demands. And so, um, that, but, but that's right. We sh but we should be examples to people of generosity and of kindness and wisdom and thoughtfulness and unselfish dedication to the good of others. Once again, you have to define good, but uh, we'll go with that. And, and so I would agree with that. And God can change people. He can change their stony hearts in among people that we we can't, can't imagine. I, I've been really, and I know that you, there's a lot to be said negative about this, but I've been kind of uh, impressed in the last couple of years by some of these Hollywood people and Instagram influencers and movie stars who have turned to the Lord. Now, I know that they probably aren't New Testament Christians in some sense, but their lives have changed completely based on their uh, encounter with the scriptures. Even people like Justin Bieber and Kanye West and all the other things. And now, of course, now the world, when they see this, uh, they those people become enemies and they bring up all the trash against them again. But I, I'm thinking of so many different ones that have happened the last few years. God's word can reach down into 
the most unexpected oh, places that you would never believe because all humans are essentially the same. And below the surface, if we can, God can ever crack that rough surface of ours, that hard, stony exterior, the word of God can penetrate. I keep praying that that's going to keep happening to me, that he can crack through my um, short outer <laughs> shell and get down to where it really matters and help me to try to change even more. But that's the power of the word. And so Christians are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And if we do what a lot of people suggest now, just go off in a corner and keep our mouth shut, keep our head low and so forth, we're not we're putting the light under a bushel. But the light shining the light involves shining the word, both in word and action. Okay. Action and words are how you shine the light of light of God's word out there by how you act, how you respond to people, and then what you say. Because if you don't, you, you heard this old quote. I forgot who they. This Francis of Assisi says, uh, "Preach the gospel every day, if necessary, use words." That, that's a fake quote. Okay, not only is it fake misinformation as we call it today, but it isn't even a good quote because you can't preach the gospel without using words. How do I know that? Because when God came, he gave them words to speak to people. Sure. But he also, the, wor- the words are what change the Christian into a different kind of person so that their actions will change and those actions can have impact on people so that they want to hear the word. That's what I've seen more and more, that we live a certain way so that in the time of difficulty, unbelievers will come to you and say, what can I do? Men and brethren, as a jailer said, what can I do to be saved? And so um, anyway, I'm, I'm talking too much again. Laura, what do you want to say to this? Well, I partially agree because sometimes just to start off with, people need just a hug whatever they're going through. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you you don't have to confront anybody right away. You just show them kindness, generosity. You show them grace when they don't deserve it in some way. You show them mercy. And that is exactly how you begin to let the word sink into their heart. I agree with that 100%. But the idea that that's all that you have to do. In the middle of the night, they had a perfect time to have an in-depth conversation about who he is. Laura, I'm afraid you're cutting out a little bit. I don't. I got you. I'm driving. Okay, that's all right. Start that over again. I want to hear what you had to say. It was because. Just like Nicodemus's curiosity, uh-huh. and his fear of the over-religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, of which he was considered one, he came to Jesus in the night with that curiosity or that longing to truly know. And in that dead of night, they had the perfect, he had the perfect opportunity to learn who Jesus is and why he came. Right. And I, I've seen this over and over again with uh, with people. One of the passages that I would t- turn to in this regard, Laura, that that I'm um, I think fits, and I don't really think we disagree completely. I'm only emphasizing the idea that it, it takes more than just being a nice person to really change other people, because the gospel gospel is found in the words that God spoke and our faith and belief in them, but. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. See, we're outside the world as Christians. We're on the edge. We're just a pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In other words, it's what you do, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Try to live an honorable life, even that the Gentiles considered an honorable life, 
that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which you they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here is your conduct, how you live from day to day, that is honorable, it's just, merciful, upright, uh, honest, integrity, all those things, kindness. He says, when they see those good works, even after they've spent time speaking against you as a uh, as an evildoer because you're a Christian. When the day of visitation comes, they will glorify God because of you. What that means, the day of visitation here is not the second coming. It's way too late for somebody to glorify God when the second coming arrives. This day of visitation is a day in that person's life when their world is collapsing sure. and they don't know what's going to happen yeah. or when society becomes completely unstable. When they see that, that's the day that God's visiting us when everything falls apart, either individually or as a society. And when they when they have that trouble hit them, their mind, many of them, is going to turn to a person that they see that obviously knows how to live. They may have been mocking you two weeks ago about your uh, not being an intoxicated person. But now that the day of visitation has come in their life, now they want to know about how to live like that. They see that you're the one. And I can give you, I could spend uh, two whole radio shows more, or more giving you personal examples of what I've seen of how this works in people's lives. Not just myself, but people that I've known. So yes, you're, you're, you're letting your light shine and doing the right thing, Laura, and being good to people is extremely important. But once that has its effect, you have to be able, and I'm not speaking to you personally, but I'm saying you, you have to still, then, then you still have to bring them to belief in the resurrected Christ. That's a hard thing to do. Then you got to bring them to repentance and obedience to the resurrected Christ. And uh, that's a different step in this process. Now then, as a nation, Christians are, may be the only reason God spares us. Because there are people in this country, even though they even may disagree about a lot of things, who uh, still serve the name of Jehovah. And I think that's what the passage of St. Chronicles would teach us, that when people of a land will honor Jehovah and, and give him thanks, that God will have mercy upon them and bless them. But we're losing that very rapidly in this country. Thanksgiving is about the most anachronistic holiday that we have doesn't fit at all. Who are these people that run our country giving thanks to? They don't believe in God. They don't want that God has anything to do with it. Huh? Good question to ask. Those are good yeah. icebreaker questions when people say thank you. Who are you thanking? Who are you thanking? And they, the, oftentimes they're thanking the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or thanking themselves, but they're not thanking Jehovah, no. God of heaven. No, the you thing know, they that, don't even believe in he. Him. The thing that offends me the most is every one of those politicians put their left hand on the Bible, they raise their right hand, <laughs> and they have, I don't think they even know what the inside pages are of that book they got their hand on, but it's a family Bible. I know, but the, it's a tradition. Right, sure. but the Bible is a, Bible does, it's on, they've done some, re, this is another subject, they've done some research on this, Stuart, when people, even when you put that book that people generally think is a holy type book, when they put their hand on that, they tell the truth way more often than they don't uh, would otherwise. <laughs> well, that's the only time. Even if even a Muslim putting sure. his hand on the Koran, sure, uh, or or whatever. Now, who was it recently put their hand on Huckleberry Finn or something? I don't know. Some man-made book. One of our well, judges yeah. wouldn't use the Bible. He had to use some other secular thing. I'll have to look it up, but my yeah. memory's failing on that. But uh, yeah, it's anyway. Laura, well, you want you want to wrap this up? Uh, sure, yes, these were all true, valid points, but, I mean, we can honestly love everybody and not agree, and I think that's what the enemy, and or possibly God, because everything really honestly is done by his hands, he, they, he veiled his love, I think, for all of us, no matter where we are in life, to search deeper, because I see that there is always deeper always deeper in the things of God, but you got to love them. Not just head right. knowledge, it's heart acceptance. 
of Jesus' right. sacrifice. And everybody's on a different level, and everybody's going to be on different levels, but we've got to love everybody, no matter what. We may uh, not agree, and we may yes. can't give in to what they do if it's contrary to the Word of God, but we can still love them like God does, because He's the only one who knows the heart. And he can differentiate what a person does compared to their heart and what they're struggling with. We don't know everybody, and that's that singing country song relate. Some people are stuck from horrible traumas. I have lived through so much that I have been begged to write a book, and I have yet to get off my gut and do it. Well, see, Laura, the thing is, though, love love basically in the Bible means doing what is in the best interest of the other person, the other person rather sure. than yourself. Sure. And so sometimes that love involves uh, uh, putting your arm around them, encouraging them. Sometimes it involves just uh, showing them that you care about them in some way like that. Sometimes it means encouraging words. Sometimes it means a slap upside the head, we would say. That's what love is. And and, uh, and, and that's G- Gary Jones texting a minute ago, and I missed it. He says, love does not always approve the actions of others. Oh, yeah. Sure. So I can love somebody without approving of their actions. And that's a good point. I, I agree okay. with that. But I can't in the long run keep loving them and then not and, and let them continue in sinful activity without me in some way trying to to ameliorate that. But sometimes I've got to soften that ground up a lot. I got to soften that ground up. Let me say this to you. Let me give you an example. This is hypothetical, sort of hypothetical. Um, I, I, I run into people uh, in different things I do that are homosexuals, and I have to deal with them as a uh, – I don't mean have to deal with them. I, I'm, I'm in a situation where I deal with them because we're working together on a project or something at the state fair. And my heart says I would like to talk to them about things in their life that are wrong. But I generally don't do that until I have established, if I do, a firm foundation of a relationship of respect and love and honor between the two of us. So they see that I honor them as a person, that I always have respected them, uh, that I have shown things I, I care about them as a person. Now then, once you do that with people, you're in a much better position to then bring up something or something happens where you can say, well, you know, what about this? You know, how, what do you think about this? Is that the right thing for you to do? That's true in everything, much less something like homosexuality or something like that. That's true about a lot of things. But we don't want to – but a lot of Christians don't do that. They see somebody doing something they don't approve of, and they immediately jump on them with two feet and begin quoting the Bible. Well, okay, sometimes that's necessary. God can use even that. But my, my observation is that's not very effective in bringing about a change. And if I love somebody – I don't want to just rebuke them. I want the rebuke to actually bring about a change. And so I'll do the rebuke in a way that can bring about the change in some reasonable way. Doesn't always work. Works less than, I would say half, works way less than half the time. <laughs> but but that's the only way I know how to do it. What do you think about that, Laura? Is that about what you're talking about, you think? Oh, absolutely, yes. And I just, if it doesn't come by our hands, which is why I'm not really into soul counting of how many people have come to Christ because the Holy Spirit uses me, that that's not for me to keep count. That no, I, it see. I just want everybody to see the light of Christ and in their darkest moment, be able to go to Him just like I was able, just like you're able and even continue able and to build that relationship. And if they come to Christ, by their own relationship and privacy with them, or at an altar in a church because the Holy Spirit pulls them to make a public event, however it is, I'm just grateful that I had the chance to shine the light of Christ. Whatever comes of it, comes of it. And I know our, job, our job is to plant seeds. We plant yeah, seeds in people's God, hearts to point them to the faith. truth of God. And those seeds can take root now or later. We ne- sometimes we never know. But you keep planting seeds. Let God give the increase. Yes. Yes. Well, you guys have a great week, and thank you so much. Thank you for calling, Laura. We really appreciate it. And I, uh, uh, call back any time. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye now. Well, it's um, those are some 
those are really critical. I guess I've been preaching in some ways on that particular subject over the last year or two in various sermons um, about what the Christian's relation to the, the world is. I'd have to look up some of the topics, but well, here if we you are. were to go to our website, yeah, weirdjustchristians.com, yeah, yeah, yeah. search for the last year or two some of the topics, you'll see that that's, those are the very, the very topics we've been talking about, uh, about how to – what's our relationship to the unbelieving world as Christians? Sure. How should we react to it? And you see all these different options being thrown out there. And it may come across to sound like that I'm a harsh person, and I don't think I am. Maybe I am. But all I'm saying is that love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. And loving people in the true biblical sense requires more than me just giving somebody a hug and feeling warm and fuzzy about them. Love in Christ involves changing our behavior. This is the hard part about marriage, uh, Stuart, as you know, he's been married. I've been married 48 and a half years. How, 48. Same. Yeah. same. Yeah. Okay. So we've been married a long time, each of us. And like we can both tell you, marriage, loving your spouse is not just about warm and fuzzy feelings. Uh, yeah. it's, about, it's about change. It's about them changing you sure. and you changing them yeah. because you love each other. I, I don't – I love my wife. But I would expect better of her than the way a lot of wives act. She loves me, but she's not going to put up for me without saying something for me to use ungodly words and behavior toward her or anybody else. She's going to call me out. Why is she going to call me out on that? Because she loves me. That's why. Sure. Okay. Now, is she going to call me out with harshness and bitterness and, and vengefulness and selfishness? No. But she's going to point me to the word of God. And she's going to be the instrument that God uses to bring about change in me because she loves me and won't put up. And, and she doesn't want me to be that way. She wants me to be different than what I am because she loves me, not because she hates me. But we have this idea today that if you disagree with somebody, you must hate them. Well, that's true. And I can tell you as a, by actual uh, – as much as I can tell anybody anything, Stuart, and you, I'm sure you feel the same way. I do not hate people that have had abortions – or even believe in practicing abortion. I do not hate them. I do not hate people that are gay or transsexual. I do not hate them. Do yeah. I do I want them to change? Do I think what they're sure. doing is reprehensible? I absolutely do. Yeah, my wife never about that. And I'm afraid that what they keep, if they keep doing what they're doing, their eternal judgment is going to be very very bad, and I don't want that for them. But they think that because I disagree with them about those things that I must hate them because I don't approve of their of their uh, actions and words. Well, I don't. Nothing they can say that they've said so far, unless they got some new revelation from God that I haven't heard yet. Nothing's going to change my mind about that because it's Bible's clear about those issues. So there we are. Now, it's easy because we're human beings. Once we disagree with some, we disagree with someone strongly. They attack us. They ridicule us. They demonize you because you're a Christian. It is relatively easy for people to fall into, a, into uh, feelings of, of anger, resentment, bitterness, rejection. rejection. Sure. And so sure. then Satan begins to work on our hearts, even though we're trying to serve Christ. When we are facing those kind of things from Satan, he works on our hearts, and we end up not loving people properly because we are personally being attacked. We got to, we've got to avoid that, and and yet I can understand how that happens. And I can understand – I can even understand how someone to say that they have this strong uh, – for whatever reasons, they have a same-sex attraction. And they hear someone say, that's not right. I can understand why they don't like that. I can understand how that feels personal and how that makes them angry. I can understand that. But that doesn't mean that their feelings are justified, that I don't like them or hate them. It may mean that those bad feelings need to be examined from the other side of it, that they need to change. Yeah. No, uh, one time a fellow told me in a church because I was uh, – we'd had a disagreement about some things, and uh, – he said, you just don't like criticism, as he told me. I like to well, see the look on my face. <clears throat> yeah. I said, 
if I liked criticism, I wouldn't be very smart, would I? Yeah, that's true. What, which one of us Nobody likes criti- sure, to be criticized? Sure. I said, whether I like it or not, that's not the question. The question is, yeah. oh, our time is gone. Woo, we've got to. We've got no. We, we've still got a little time left. I looked at the wrong clock here. One thing Sorry, I Stuart. I saw I saw Stuart look yeah. at his watch, and I, I, I went, "Oh no!" But I've anyway, got what? I've got one comment I want right, to leave with our caller, and with all of us is uh, Romans 10, uh, verse 15. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Rome says this: "And how shall they preach except they be sent?" It is written, "How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things." Okay, how, how in the world can people hear the go- know the gospel if they don't hear the gospel? If we don't bring it in peace, right. in, the, in the air of peace, we, we bring right. it to them in sure. the right way. And we, I, I just pray, I pray with people all the time. I pray about people all the time, or my relationship to them as a preacher, that I'd have uh, grace in their eyes, and that goes both ways. Same thing. Well, our time is gone now. We've got to wrap the show up. We thank you very much for listening. And we pray that you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. And visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to see you. We're not going to ask you for money or anything like that. Come and see us, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.